You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now, there are some dubious, disturbing claims about what happened in Khaybar. It has been claimed that when the Prophet was riding on his animal in the alleys of Khaybar, his thigh became exposed such that Anas ibn Malik, he narrates, or according to the hadith that's attributed to him, he claims that he saw the whiteness of the thigh of the Prophet We reject this and we doubt this. We have the following observations about why we reject something. Because in our class, when we are critical of something, we explain why. Why is it that we doubt these claims? Number one, there was nothing urgent for the Prophet ﷺ for him to be disoriented like that. Because when you're riding, let's say, on a donkey or on a horse, and your thigh gets exposed, that means you're running away from an enemy, you're disoriented, you lose your balance, you're in a rush. The Prophet ﷺ was walking normally in the alleys of Khaybar. He was not running from any attacker. So why would that happen? The narration that claims the thigh of the Prophet ﷺ was uncovered says that it just happened in one of the alleys of Khaybar. It did not say that there was a war, someone was chasing after the Prophet, for the Prophet to be disoriented. So there is no reasonable explanation as to why the thigh of the Prophet would be uncovered. That's the first observation. The second observation, the Prophet would constantly teach his companions to cover their thigh and, that's it, and that it is inappropriate to expose the thigh. So why is he allowing this to happen to himself such that Anas says, I saw the whiteness of the thigh of the Prophet That seems very unlikely. We have to understand that men also have their hijab. And it's not permissible for men to expose body parts that are provocative or it's, it's just inappropriate in the presence of the opposite gender. But even amongst men's themselves, that's not part of the akhlaq or the adab. We have manners, we have etiquette, and that's not appropriate. The Prophet ﷺ would normally teach his companions. If one of them would come and he's not appropriately dressed, let's say his thighs are showing, the Prophet would bring it to his attention that this is not part of the mannerisms of a believer. So why would the Prophet allow that to happen to himself? Now, here I would like to mention something with you that shows you how oppressed the Prophet is. Now, we have Sunni hadiths that claim the Prophet sometimes would have his thigh uncovered to some of the companions. I will share with you a hadith that appears in Sahih al-Bukhari and also Sahih Muslim. And I'll read to you the text of the hadith. Qalat Aisha. This hadith is attributed to Aisha. She states in this hadith, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi from me wa sallam. Because you know, in Bukhari and Muslim, they don't say wa alihi. 
they deliberately omit this when the Prophet prohibited Muslims from omitting that. So she says the Prophet the Prophet was lying down in my room and he had uncovered his two thighs or his two legs. Abu Bakr sought permission to enter and see the Prophet. The Prophet gave him permission. And the Prophet was in that state, lying down with his legs uncovered. He spoke to Abu Bakr. Then Umar sought permission to see the Prophet. The Prophet gave him permission. The Prophet did not change his state. He was just there lying with his thigh uncovered. Here's, here's the part. When Uthman came and he sought permission to see the Prophet, فَجَلَسَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ the claim is that the Prophet suddenly he sat and he fixed his clothes and he covered himself. This caught the attention of Aisha. Aisha told him, Ya Rasulullah, Abu Bakr came, falam walam tubale. You didn't even care. Umar came, you didn't care. You were just lying down with your thigh exposed. This is in Bukhari and Muslim, by the way. And their most sahih works. How come when Uthman came, Jalasta wa you sat and you basically arranged your clothes such, such that your legs are covered? What's the difference between those two and Uthman? Supposedly, allegedly, the Prophet state, stated, Allah Akbar. How can I not be embarrassed from a man whom the angels are embarrassed from? Honestly, how can we expect, ex accept such accusations, such nonsense attributed to the Prophet? If it's, if it's inappropriate for you to expose your thigh, it's inappropriate before anyone. And by the way, Ahl-Sunnah, they say that Abu Bakr and Umar are better than Uthman. So what's the special status that Uthman has? Why is it that the angels are embarrassed from Uthman, but not from someone else? Doesn't even make any sense. By what standard are we going? If you go by the Shia standard, it doesn't make sense. Because we're critical of Uthman anyway. If you go by the Sunni standard, it doesn't make sense. Because according to Sunni beliefs, Umar and Abu Bakr, they, they are higher in rank than Uthman. So why is it that the angels specifically are embarrassed from Uthman? The angels are embarrassed from him. Secondly, what does it even mean for the angels to be embarrassed? What does that mean? Imagine, imagine one hadith stated, the, the angels are embarrassed from this man. What does that mean? Do you have any possible explanations? What could that mean? What does the angels uh, from any person mean? <laughs> it's, it's not even a concrete... Uh, point that you're you're communicating. Because of his very high status, they feel embarrassed just being in his presence. But these angels are not embarrassed from the Prophet No matter how you look at it, such narrations are disturbing. 
In any case, we go back to Khaybar. So there is a claim that the Prophet's thigh got uncovered at Khaybar. We, we reject that. It's a dubious claim. It doesn't really make sense. The next point that we also dispute in Khaybar is about the Prophet choosing a proper, a proper logistical place in Khaybar. It has been reported that when Muslims arrived Khaybar and they seemed to settle in one area, one of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, by the name of Al-Habbab ibn al-Mundhir, he came to the Prophet ﷺ and he told him, you have camped here, we've settled here. If you have been commanded by Allah to camp here, we won't speak. I won't challenge Allah. But if it's your opinion, then we will speak. The Prophet responded to him by saying, no, it's my opinion. This logistical place that we have chosen to settle in Khaybar, it's my opinion. It's not by the instruction of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Habab ibn al-Mundhir, he explains to the Prophet that this site is not suitable. He tells him, number one, it's very close to the fort. You need to kind of put a distance between where the Muslims are going to settle and the fort of Khaybar. Secondly, the archers can easily target them because it's a low-lying place and the archers from the fort can see the Muslims and they, and they will become easy targets. And there are a lot of palm trees around the site behind which the enemies can easily hide. So Habab ibn al-Mundhir is giving this logistical report to the Prophet telling him why this is not a good place. Then he finally adds that the place is also low-lying such that water gathers there, exposing the Muslims to disease and plague. Because in the past, you didn't have sanitary water coming. So if you're in a low-lying area and there's all this water, standing water around you, this made you prone to diseases and plagues. The Prophet, according to these reports, accepts the suggestion of Al-Habbab and he tells him, but we'll move to another place in the evening, not now. I accept your suggestion, let's go to a better place, but not now. Let's confront them at night, we'll go to another place. Why do we doubt this? Any ideas? This report, why do we doubt it? What's the issue with it? No, no, the Prophet said, let me confront them now during the day. At night, we'll go to this new place to camp and settle down. Why do we find this objectionable? This whole report about Al-Habbab offering his suggestion to the Prophet He's trying to advise the Prophet Yes, that's one point. Uh, yes, brother. You wanted... Alaykum as wa rahmatullah. Yes, thank you brother for that observation. So the reason why we uh, reject this report or we doubt the authenticity of this report is that number one, everything that the Prophet speaks of is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
It doesn't mean, it doesn't make any sense for a companion to come to the Prophet and tell him, Ya Rasulullah, is this from you or from God? Everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the Prophet supposedly tells him, no, this is my ra'i, this is my opinion. That does not um, correspond to the Qur'an when the Qur'an states in Surah Al-Najm, وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ إِنْ هُوَ إِلَّا وَحْيٌ يُوحَىٰ Everything that the Prophet speaks is revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the first reason, yes. Exactly. The second reason why we doubt that is that this report indicates the Prophet did not choose a good logistical position. I mean, the, 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 when you look at Habab ibn al-Mundhir's report, you find that this is something anyone would know. A low-lying area, the archers can easily see you, there are palm trees around you, the enemies can hide, and there is um, you know, unsanitary water around you. Why would the Prophet choose a place like that? Even forget Asma and prophethood. Anyone with a little bit of experience knows that such a place is not good. So to attribute to this Prophet to the Prophet basically means the Prophet didn't know anything. You know, an average person knows more than him about such logistical issues. And remember the Prophet at this time, this was towards the end of his life. This is four years before he departed this world. You know, he's 59 over here. 58, 59. He's a man with experience. He's, he's already witnessed tens of battles. And you're telling me he doesn't know, you know that this is a bad place? This honestly reduces from the status of the Prophet So such reports unfortunately give the impression that the Prophet may make mistakes when it comes to worldly matters. And he may not make the best choice. And we've examined before why such reports are fabricated. One main reason is a political religious reason. There are some Muslims who tell you that even if the Prophet it's been proven that he selected Imam Ali as his Khalifa, whether it's the Hadith of Ad-Dar, Hadith Al-Ghadir or any other Hadith, their claim is this was not by the instruction of Allah. This was the Prophet's recommendation, let Ali be my successor and the Prophet in worldly matters, he can make mistakes. He may not always make the best choice. So it's okay if we choose someone else. See, there's that political agenda behind such hadiths. Maybe initially you don't sense that, but upon examination, you see there's a concerted effort to you know, remove the asma from the Prophet such that if you confront them and you tell them, what well, the Prophet chose this. Yeah, okay, we don't have to go by the Prophet's choice. Who cares? Maybe the Prophet doesn't choose the best of, of events. And so we reject this claim, this report that tells us the Prophet chose a bad place, terrible place. Habab ibn al-Mundhir has to bring that to his attention and then they move to another location. So what's the plausible scenario then? What do we think happened based on historical clues? When they arrived Khaybar, it seems that many Muslim companions, they hastened to this place which was not suitable. Maybe they were tired, they came from a long way. So they saw this low-lying area, they just went there initially. The Prophet was aware it wasn't a good place, but the Prophet wanted a smooth 
transition to another place so that the Jews don't think Muslims are disoriented and they don't know what they're doing. The Prophet wants to give them the impression, no, we're planning our steps. So when Habab makes this suggestion, the Prophet agrees, but not because Habab made the suggestion. The Prophet already knew this was not a good place. But the Prophet just wanted to wait till the night to go to a new place. So that the Jews, you know, think this is all planned. And the Prophet also didn't want to offend the Muslims who hastened to get there. Has it ever happened to you where you're working with a group and initially they don't make the right choice? You don't want to just confront them very abruptly. You give them a chance, right? And then you tell them, okay, let's try something better. Because there is something about human nature that if I make a mistake, let's say, I don't make the best choice, and you quickly tell it, tell that to me in my face, it breaks me. I get defensive. But if you give me some time, right, and then you let me know, I will be more likely to accept that. So the Prophet, that's why he tells Habab, let's wait till the night, so that I don't break the hearts of these Muslims who rushed here, and I don't embarrass them. Because imagine, the Prophet is there with 1,600 companions, those Muslims who got there. Quickly the Prophet says, no, let's leave and, and go to another place. This is a bad place. They get embarrassed. Because it attracts, it, it puts them on the spot. But when the Prophet moves to another location at night, the Prophet saves their dignity. So that's what we think happened. Not all Muslims have that perspective, no. Some Muslims, they look at these reports and they take them at face value. They just said, he, they say the Prophet was a prophet when it comes to revelation. But worldly matters, he was not the most, uh, he was not the best expert. Others knew more than him. Yeah, they do believe in that. In any case, the Prophet moves in the evening to a new location. And basically the camel was moving towards that location. The narration states that the camel stops at a place. There was a rock by that place. And the Prophet says to his companions, the camel's being commanded. So wherever the, the camel stops, we will camp here too. This assured Muslims that Allah is with them. Also that location where the camel stops was significant logistically because it blocked the tribe of Ghatafan from potentially joining the Khaybaris. So it was like halfway between them. So if the Ghatafan tribe wants to come to Khaybar, now the Muslims are in front of them. So this was also a strategic location assigned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By the way, do you know who Habab ibn al-Mundhir is, this companion? He was present at Saqifah and he opposed the selection of Abu Bakr. Not because he wanted to support Imam Ali salam, no. But he wanted Sa'd ibn Ubadah to become the Khalifa, the leader of the Ansar in Medina. And he warned the Ansar, Habab ibn al-Mundhir, he warned the Ansar, don't accept Abu Bakr as the Khalifa. And he is the one who finally said, Minna Amir wa minhum Amir. If Abu Bakr insists or if the Muhajireen insist, that Abu Bakr is going to be the Khalifa. Okay, let him be the leader of the Muhajireen and we'll have a leader for the Ansar. But of course, Abu Bakr foiled his, his plot. 
And when he voiced opposition to Abu Bakr, you know what happened to him at the Saqifah? He got beaten, trampled, and stepped on. Because he opposed the selection of Abu Bakr, he got beaten at Saqifah. This is Habab ibn al-Mundir. In any case, while they stay at this camp for many weeks, remember the Prophet chooses a new location, they stay many weeks at that location, maybe over a couple of months. The Prophet dedicates a masjid over there. So they're staying at that place, the Prophet has a masjid dedicated there. This was a very effective move. It strengthened Muslims, it gave them hope that they will win, we have a masjid here. It also sent a powerful message to the Khaybaris that the Prophet is not going anywhere. He's staying here, he's already made a masjid here, and he will wait until Allah gives him victory. But of course, they were stubborn to surrender or to negotiate with the Prophet Another report that we kind of have some observations on is this following report. It has been reported that the Prophet commanded Muslims to cut down the palm trees around the fort of Natat or Nata because Khaybar was a collection of forts. There was one fort called Natat, it had palm trees around it. The Prophet commanded Muslims to cut down the palm trees and they executed the command of the Prophet cutting some 400 palm trees. Then the Prophet prohibited them from cutting any other trees. Some reports indicate that Habab ibn al-Mundir suggested to the Prophet to cut them down. That's why the Prophet initially told his companions to cut them down. But then what happened? Then Abu Bakr came and he objected. And he told him to the Prophet He told him, Allah has promised you Khaybar and he will fulfill his promise. So don't cut them down because we're going to inherit Khaybar. Why are you cutting down the trees? Then the Prophet prohibited Muslims from cutting down the trees of Khaybar. Some reports indicate Umar made that suggestion to the Prophet. You know, don't cut the trees of Khaybar, we're going to inherit this place. So why ruin it? We find these claims to be problematic. Number one, the Prophet, if you remember previously we've examined that when the Prophet wanted to go to war, he would give his army special commands. Women don't kill them, children don't kill them, anyone that surrenders, you know, don't kill them, uh, don't poison the wells of your enemies and one of them is what? Don't cut trees. This is a command by the Prophet that when they would go to a village, the Prophet told them don't cut the trees of the enemies. So why do we have an exception here? Why are 400 palm trees being cut? What justifies that? Number two, we don't accept the claims that Abu Bakr or Umar had to remind him that this is not a good idea. The Prophet doesn't know and he's waiting for Abu Bakr to tell him this is not a good idea. As one of our late scholars, Sayyid Ja'far al-Amili rahmatullahi puts it, he says the following, he says, if cutting down the trees to begin with is an act of obedience to Allah, it was a good thing to do, then why did the Prophet listen to Abu Bakr and stop cutting the trees? And if cutting the trees to begin with was not an act of obedience to Allah, it was a bad thing to do, why did the Prophet do it in the first place? <laughs> so it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they'll easily say he made a mistake, Abu Bakr had to inform him of his mistake and he accepted. 
Subhanallah, what kind of a prophet is that? Isn't this embarrassing? You get to Khaybar, he chooses the worst location. Habab ibn al-Mundhir has to uh, let him know that this is a bad location. Then he commands his army to cut down trees and then Abu Bakr comes and he tells him, no, Ya Rasulullah, this is not good. Didn't Allah promise you Khaybar and Allah fulfills his promise? We're going to inherit this place, don't ruin it. What kind of a prophet is this? Honestly, if there's a leader like that, would you respect him? Like he makes mistakes left and right. He doesn't even know what he's doing. See how the prophet is mazloom. Unfortunately, the biography of the prophet does injustice to him. And we have to defend the prophet from such claims. Yes, it is possible that some palm trees, not 400, some palm trees were, were blocking the way to the port, to the fort. And so the Prophet asked his companions to clear some of those palm trees to get to the fort properly. Not that there was a command to raise down hundreds of, of palm trees like that. That is what we find dubious and problematic. Maybe just a few palm trees were cleared in order to, be, you know, to go towards the um, fort of Khaybar. Any, any questions about this command of cutting down trees? Masjid Dirar, yes, the mosque that was destroyed. Right. That's a good observation. The masajid are to be protected and their sanctity is to be observed. Now that Masjid Dirar, which inshallah we will um, possibly examine it, examine it in the future, that Masjid Dirar, which is the Mosque of Harm, let's call it, which the Munafiqeen made to, under, to undermine Islam and Muslims, the Prophet allowed his companions to go and destroy it because it was becoming a source of fitna around Medina. So as the brother said, that's the exception, right? That is the very exception, only that mosque in those particular circumstances. So over here, Speaking about the trees, we know we have a command by the Prophet ﷺ not to cut trees. Yes, sometimes you need an exception. There's a tree in your way, you need to remove it in order to meet the enemy. But for him to clear 400, you know how much 400 palm trees is? 400 palm trees just around one fort, what justifies that? By the way, that narration that says 400 palm trees were cut, and Al-Habbab ibn al-Mundhir, remember, is the one who supposedly recommended it to the Prophet. The Prophet was told that cut down the trees of the Jews because they love their palm trees more than their children. So, and you know the Prophet doesn't have that grudge where he cuts down trees just to make his enemy feel bad. We don't find that in the akhlaq of the Prophet Yes, brother. You told about the Sakifa and the fight between the Muhajirin and the Ansar. Yes. Uh, do you know about the fate of the chief of the Ansar? Uh, I read that he refused to give bayah to Abu Bakr. Yes, he refused to give bayah and he died mysteriously. He basically was so upset with the result of the um, allegiance to Abu Bakr such that he isolated himself from the affairs of the of the city and he even left Medina 
He left Medina, the chief of the Ansar, Sa'd ibn Ubadah. He left Medina to other areas towards Syria. And then, and then they say, you know what Sunnis say how he died? They say that because you know his body was found dead and possibly even thrown in a well, according to one narration. So you know what the Sunnis say? They say one of the jinnis killed him. This is in Sunni sources. First of all, how did you know it was a jinni who killed him? Who, who witnessed that? How do you know a jinni killed him? Secondly, this was to cover um, them killing him. Because they saw him as an opponent and he did not accept the result of the Saqifah, we believe that the party of Saqifah had him killed. They wanted to eliminate him so he doesn't cause any trouble for them. But for them to blame his death on the jinni, come on, what kind of nonsense is that? Since when did jinni start to kill humans? So yes, brother, thank you for bringing that to our attention.